Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Crypto Market Watch. I'm your host, Marsh Frost, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Dr. Nick. How are you, Dr. Nick? I'm all right, mate. How are you? Good. I'm not in the UK. I'm not with you in the studio today. Overseas. It's our first remote podcast. There we go. And yeah, again, as ever, we've had a selection coming from the community in the DAO. And we, every week we have the DAO open to suggestions about what they would like to hear in the Crypto Market Watch. And again, we've set on a really interesting topic this week, something which I know is near and dear to your heart. Yeah, absolutely, mate. This is something I've spent a lot of time thinking about. So the topic we're going to get into today, and you know, we are lucky, really, to have lucky, lucky to have someone like Dr. Nick, who's able to talk to us about this stuff, is token economics. Yeah, token economics. That's the sometimes called tokenomics, which irritates the hell out of me. Yeah, I know that's one of your bugbears, isn't it? Tokenomics. It grinds my gears, mate. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so for the uninitiated, and I think just to leave the lay of the land again, what is token economics? Yeah, so there's, <clears throat> as is the case in many places in crypto, there's not really a good definition. I consider it the art and science of giving tokens value. So it's it's monetary theory for crypto. So what we're looking at is what is the economics of these new token-based systems that we're building across Web3 crypto. And yeah, it's basically how do you design a system that generates the action you want through incentives? So if these tokens exist in a system, generally their job is to incentivize people to do something. And ideally, you can do that where the token either pays for itself or even better accrues value from the system. So goes up in price because it's wanted more than it's not. So yeah, that's basically the high level of token economics. I call it an art and a science because it's not just a kind of mathematical modeling exercise. It's not just something that you can derive an empirical experiment for. So in science, you generally say, I'm going to build this hypothesis. This is what's going to happen. Build some kind of like theory in which to, to put it into practice and detect some measurement systems and see what happens. A kind of classic scientific method approach. In token systems, you can build a really interesting and good token game, but something mad might happen, right? Because it, the art is how do you get people to buy the token? It's more marketing. It's more psychology it's culture it's social dynamics and all of that stuff would fit in a kind of social sciences kind of thing so it's a really multidisciplinary subject in my view so do we need to like even go back a step slightly before that as well and then even talk about what is a token like yeah let's frame that in the context it might be worth saying a coin is a token say Bitcoiners don't like that, but it basically is. And it's basically, it just represents a unit of something digitally. And it doesn't, I don't, doesn't need to be digitally. Our first money was Sumerian tokens, one of the first monetary objects to have ever exist, existed. And there were tokens. They were little clay objects that represented a loaf of bread or a chicken or something like that. And it was that invention this notion of tokenization, of representing something like a loaf of bread in abstracted, tokenized form that allowed them to be traded, which allowed commerce to happen, 
which basically incentivized civilization to exist. So money created civilization in a very real sense and actually started tokenized. We ended up with fungible money much later, which is more difficult to pull off and more difficult to get right. And one would argue that we haven't really got it right yet. But yeah, tokenization is just the idea of representing a thing, whatever it might be, in a kind of abstract form. When it comes to blockchains, the most tokens are ERC-20 tokens, which basically is a token standard that came through the sort of Ethereum governance system. So a token in that sense is these unitary objects, digital ones, that are generated by a token contract, by a smart contract. And it has a specific framework, a kind of interface to use. So it's it's got functions like max supply, which all of these standard contracts should have. And it's got the same send and receive functions. And basically, it's a smart contract that allows you to make your own money. So you can print your own money with a token contract. And token economics is how you give those tokens value. So in theory, once you've created a token for something, you're saying this is a unit of that value. So it's a unit of that thing. So if I've got a unit of a loaf of bread, the token should be redeemable for a loaf of bread. Now, in digital systems, we're typically saying this is a unit of something. So all of a sudden, everyone's excited about utility and NFTs, and that might be your NFT is claimable for one digital experience or one ticket to a basketball game or something or uh, allocation of governance rights. So the tokens can represent other things and they're claimable or consistently usable for a thing, whatever it might be. Okay, makes sense. So within the token space, then, are there different types of tokens? You could argue there's many different types of tokens. And interestingly, like this week, the language of them just got changed. Now, whether we want to follow this semantic shift or not is up to us but they used to be split largely into things like utility token utility tokens payment tokens and security tokens so a utility token is the thing that i largely concentrated on which is this is a digital object that you can do something with it so with this token it has a use and therefore utility in a system so if you hold this token, you are able to access service X, would make it a utility token. So hold 10,000 tokens in order to gain access to an NFT mint or something would make that token, give that token some degree of utility. So utility tokens are like claimable for something. You can almost think of them like digital vouchers that are not necessarily consumed. So it's like a voucher that you don't necessarily need to hand in. So Normally, when you go to something like, like your local supermarket and you've got a voucher for a gallon of milk, a utility token version of milk, like milk token, for example, would be just like if you held 10,000 milk tokens, you're allowed a bottle of milk every week or something, or every few days, something like that. So you're almost like buying the future product of whatever that thing is. And, you know, it, and it, or it might give you access. And in the case of finance.vote, it, the tokens are usable, spendable to gain access to our prediction market game. So you need to spend a thousand of them in order to play the game. And you may get more of them back if your predictions are correct. And you may get less of them back if they're not. So that's a kind of 
high level of what a utility token is. It's a token that is redeemable or usable for something, typically in a digital realm, in the digital system. These tokens are basically just securities, right? So at this point, we've passed the Howey test. In fact, we're just saying that we are a security. And consequently, we're going to go and ask for Gary's permission to be able to issue this somewhere. And you can go and get regulated in some jurisdiction where he says, yes, this is a security and we allow you to, it can be regulated within our jurisdiction. We consider it a security and thus they are regulated tokens. These come around, I'm expecting, I'm surprised I've not seen security token offerings being like touted around yet. We'll know we're in deep bear market when everyone starts talking about security tokens again. And basically, they're just tokenized shares, right? So equity calls on future productive action by a remote group of people. So a third party. I'm going to give these guys money to go and do something. And I expect a return from it in the future. I own a share of this future output, whatever it is. And that's why it's securitized. It's a call on the future economic output of an entity that's working on your behalf. And this is like a this is where the Howey test gets interesting and stuff. If you're not expecting definable group of people to do the work for you, in fact, by holding the token you are doing the work and utilizing that token and they're decentralized, then it's perhaps and should perhaps not be considered a security, therefore a utility token. I'd say we you and I like would I've seen a number of projects we've looked at and gone, that's a security. I just think people don't realize that they're securities. So people are making security token economics, but yes. they don't realize they're securities. Yeah, we've talked some people out of, yeah, we're going to set this DAO up and we're going to do this thing. And then you're going to get like a share of revenue. We're going to give you dividends back for the work that we do holding this token. I thought I'd probably not do that if I was you, because it's nailed on. If you're giving out a dividend, if people are just passively holding a financial object that earns a return, a rate of return, a share of profits of the action of some other people, then it's a security. Like there, there is a thing. It's not like the, one of the things I get frustrated about is applying pre-digital era laws. So like securities laws were made, I think, in the 30s to stop scams. These, they're there for a reason. They stop people setting up Ponzi schemes and it's to stop people just lying about. It's very easy for some charlatan to come up and say, yeah, we get in at the ground level, put some money into this. And then we've got this killer like product or a killer service that we're going to deliver, and then just don't do anything, then just exit scam on people. And so you need laws to stop people doing that. We're going to do this, and then rugging them. So there is a degree of this is a promise of some future thing that needs to be considered, but really all these laws need updating for what these kind of things, because there are, in fact, loads of interesting revenue share type models that can exist in the digital world that have never happened before, and so probably need some new regulation for. Yeah, there is a blank canvas out there to be painted on. And I think there's going to be some really interesting novel ways that are approached. But right now, it's still, everything's still seen as really taboo, right? Really comes down to are you passively earning a return when other people are doing work for you? And some business models are just that, right? Not going to be easy to decentralize. And it's for people who don't want to decentralize. They just want a digital token, but run a conventional business. And in which case, you know, you've probably got a security token.
And then payment tokens? So payment tokens are literally, you just spend this, like USDC is a payment token. Yeah. Right? It's, it's a token that is desired to be spent for units of whatever people are willing to expect for it. It's a medium of exchange. These is were large. Is it just encapsulated in that it's a medium of exchange? It's Yeah, it's a token that's there to be swapped for payment, right? For payment for something. So one of the laziest token models that basically all of the, these were the sort of better end of the spectrum, but in 2017, there was loads of ICOs. I still think it was potentially more crazy than what we saw in the last cycle. NFTs took it over. But a lot of what payment payment tokens was like one of the main things. And it was like, yeah, we're going to do crypto vending machines. We're going to get them everywhere. Someone actually did this. And what we're going to do is have a token that you use on the vending machines instead of money, which of course made no sense whatsoever. Like the chances that someone's going to have some obscure shitcoin when they walk next to a vending machine in a stadium somewhere is like zero. So a lot of them just basically said, oh, and we accept fiat as well. And consequently, everyone just used fiat and it went to zero. And that was that, that happened like thousands of tokens all use that kind of thing. So basic payment tokens, they need some kind of monetary backing and what you would consider stable coins. You could probably consider payment tokens. Okay. So that's like the the tools that are available in the arena of token economics, right? Yeah. And you've got other things like NFTs. So NFTs also have token economics designs. NFTs are basically non-fungible. So what that means is that each token is individual. They are not like for so a fungible item, you don't care which one you've got. So if I go and spend £10 in a bar and expect £5 change, which basically never happens anymore, you don't care which £5 back you get, right? A £5 note is a £5 note. You don't care which one it is. Whereas in the case of non-fungible items, each of them are, you care about which item you're getting back, right? I'm not going to sell golden board ape for a floor ape or whatever. They're, they have differential value based on their rarity and things like that. So rarity and structure within an NFT set has its own token economics ideas as well. I'm trying to think of other broad broad clusters of, you could argue governance tokens as a standalone thing or a class on their own. Bit of a hard sell these days. There was a point in the last cycle where everyone would buy self-professed useless governance tokens. This is a valueless governance token and it would get a billion dollar market cap. Is this is a crypto equivalent yeah. of... Virtue signaling. I guess so. I mean, it's, the idea was that you would it would to tokenize uh, the responsibility of running that system. So it's in my interest to hold 5% of the token supply of this thing because I want to have 5% influence over the way this thing runs. And to a certain degree, that kind of works. Things like Curve is basically a governance token that allows you to lock it up, get governance power, and then change the gauges on this machine that could make you money. So if you're an LP, a large LP, stablecoin LP, and you want to earn better yield, you can earn yield by voting to give yourself the yield. So it was totally reasonable to expect that there was some governance token designs that actually confer some value into themselves because it's worth holding it to give pay. It's like a you hold these things because you value the influence in this thing in some way. Now, 
hardly any of those actually realized a value to having the token that was just voting rights. I, I firmly believe that there are valuable governance tokens. Everyone said they were valueless because they thought it would be some kind of dodge against the reg- regulators, which won't wash in any court of law, I don't think. But yeah, so governance tokens are another thing. They A lot of them really went to zero pretty badly because they don't have any utility as such. Governance on it on its own is a hard utility case. Yeah. I don't, that's the, does that round out the tools that are available? Other ones off the top of my head. If I really sat down, I could probably come up with a few other ones. But they're the kind of broad brush ones. They're the ones that end up in regulatory sort of narratives. Yeah, uh, more might come to mind throughout our chat, but they're the main ones. So where does someone start with token economics design? What are the building um, blocks? Yeah, so the building blocks are, most people think of token economics as this kind of, pull of colourful pie chart that you get in the back of a white paper, which says 20% of the tokens go to the team, 30% go to the DAO or community or whatever, 30% go to some foundation, blah, 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 yeah. advisors, whatever. Um, max token supply is 100 million tokens. This is the colourful pie chart, and that's token economics. It isn't. That's I would start argue if you're going to call tokenomics something, it's that colourful pie chart, right? It's the thing that Ian Bellino was shilling in, like, 2017. I always thought tokenomics sounds like a stoner thing. <laughs> tokenomics, yeah. The, so, yeah, tokenomics, if you like, is the colourful pie chart, and it's basically build it, building block number one. Yeah. What is the supply of this new monetary system, and who's got the tokens? So that's point one. Point two is, how are those tokens going to make it into the market over time? So you can think of this as like an evolutionary system. So it has a an x-axis of time, and then a supply of y on the, on the y-axis, and tokens come out to these various actors in the game. And basically this largely manifests as like a an emission schedule of vesting. So tokens are released to these participants over time. And so emission schedules are one of the next major building blocks. The supply starts at X and goes to Y at this rate of change, right? So that you get these emission curve charts which show the pie chart over time basically. So emission curves are another important piece, but really that it all comes down to what's happening in each of those slices. If you're giving out, so people will put things like ecosystem incentives as a slice of their pie chart, but how is the ecosystem being built with that token is token economics. It's like, how do you design the flow of the monetary object to to the right people to make them do the things that you want. So it's basically what's called an incentive alignment problem. Tokens, if they have a liquid market and a tradable value, can be exchanged for other tokens. So you can swap them for dollars or you can swap them for Bitcoin or Ether or whatever. And so you can get paid to to do stuff. So people can basically come to a system and be paid in tokens for doing things and that's largely what we're trying to do to build a game for people to play where tokens are used as the incentive to drive the outcome of the system itself 
Okay, there's a lot to unpack there then. So, okay, so you've got, I think the last thing you left it at was emission curves, right? That was the thing you said was, the, was basically what you were so, talking about. Yeah, so emission curves, just what's the inflation rate of the token over time? Yeah. And the token is given to different actors over time. So let's say the team gets 15% of the token supply over five years. That's an emission curve, right? So they get X amount of tokens a month. Or what I prefer is basically to schedule it out by the second. So tokens are emitted by the second over five years. And that's what the team get for turning up, right? So their incentive alignment, The if they continue to build the product and create a system that everyone thinks is great, then the token will appreciate in value because it's got utility and they are aligned to stay in the game for at least six years because their tokens come out over a six-year period. That's a kind of a mission curve. The latter bit I was talking about is basically what is sometimes called mechanism design, which is you are your goal is to try to design a system, a game, that people will play and follow your guidance on pure incentives. So you build an incentive game where people will jump through X, Y, Z hoops in order to get incentive Y. So this is game theory or this is... Yeah, so mechanism design is a kind of subfield of game theory. So you can describe game theory as a kind of mathematical interpretation of games, of expressing real-world systems as a kind of game, as a kind of simplified game, and then modeling how different actors behave in that game. So the classic example is The Prisoner's Dilemma, where you have two guys rob a bank, and they both rob the bank together, both run up, bury the money in a sort of equally known location, and then both get arrested independently. And the game is, if they both collaborate, they both get away free and share the money. And if you defect and basically tell the other guy, dox the other guy as being the bad guy or whatever, you get away and take the money on your own. So if you defect, you can win, like all the money. And if you collaborate, you both get out and share the money. And if you both defect, you both go to jail. Right, So th that is a game, it's called The Prisoner's Dilemma, because there's a choice about which side of the game you play to collaborate or defect. Now, that's been elaborated on, that's like the base game, into all sorts of stuff. It's basically influenced economics probably more than anything else over the last 50 years, and it's a very important discipline in token economics, and mainly the subfield me mechanism design. So mechanism design is a use of game theory where you can basically conceptualize, like the way I describe mechanism, and there's probably proper theoreticians who will hate me for simplifying it in this way, but it's basically everyone has a price, right? So you can make anyone do anything with the right incentives. So the way I just think about mechanism design is take your, your let's say a thousand people, and you stack them from one to a thousand in the amount of money it will take for them to do something. The amount of money that they go, all right, then I'll do it. And for some, it's like pennies or for some, it's free, right? And like you move up the stack and then eventually you have to give this guy a hundred dollars to do that thing. And then eventually you have to give someone, someone's, I'll never do it for money. 
ever. I just don't want to do it. But eventually you offer them $10 billion or something and they can do real good with it and save the world with it. And they go, all right then. And that's basically the idea. There's an incentive that can make anyone do anything. Now, it's a hyper-capitalist idea, of course, and people would argue with it, but it basically works. It's like being empirically proved to play out almost to the modeled predictive outcome in real mathematical, in real-world systems over and over again. Yeah, it's a pretty famous sort of tool, isn't it? In terms of crypto, then, can you explain the application? Does it make sense? Can you give us an example of taking an economic system you feel best represents that? Okay. You can make anything do anything you want with money. (laughs) Okay. Is this a good... So I'm just thinking the next question, because a conscious of time, like we want to do a bigger news section, right? Yeah, I think we can do... Let's do... Let's just do the remaining questions and we'll rattle through them quickly. Okay, cool. Let's uh, jump back to it. Ready when you are? Ready? Yep. Okay, so if that's mechanism design, basically you can get anybody to do anything for the right price, <laughs> which it makes me smile only because it, I just know it to be true. Um, <laughs> it's an uncomfortable truth, I think. It is an uncomfortable truth. And I suppose the next question is a bit leading because I'm thinking, why is that important? It's important for the obvious reasons, but why is yeah. tech and economics important? It's important because we've gone through various phases of crypto that normally just involve like lashing a token in the market, convincing people to buy it, using marketing things, telling everyone it's going to take over the world. It's going to be amazing. And then it just the token doesn't do anything. So it doesn't want have... I call the utility floor. Like there is a base value that this thing will be worth for its use. And that's a function of the demand and the supply and demand of the thing that you can do with it. If a hundred people want to play a game and, you know, there's X amount of tokens, then there's a hundred people who want those tokens to play the game. And that as a function of the total supply will tell you what the utility floor for the token is. So there has to be something that there is a use of the token. So some of the best example of this, like Ethereum itself, is an amazing utility token that the now being called crypto commodities, which I don't hate actually, but what's I do? Because basically the thing was utility tokens were, hey, they're just digital things. It's like buying V-Bucks on Fortnite or whatever. It's just money you can trade in for some digital thing. It's no need to worry about this too much. It's just a digital funny money. Like, that. that's fine. And now the a lot of people have ran scams on these things, and understandably the regulators are coming in. And now the way it's dropping is the utility side of the thing, the utility token side of the things, are going to fall within the CFTC's remit and because they're commodities. I think they're the commodities and futures trading commission so what by branding utility tokens commodities like ethereum is a commodity you need it to use the system it's it's like oil digital oil you can burn the oil to use the system to get the energy out of the system to use the system so they're commodities and that means they fall within the cftc's world then there's ah, it's a security which means it falls on gary's desk over at the sec the securities and exchange commission yeah all of these things fall within that or fall within the scope of these things and yeah so that you've got these two kinds of tokens is the way that the world is going to look at these things now 
One is that they're consumed for something within our digital system, within a system, and one is that they represent some real-world call on future value. The ones I'm more interested in is the commodities side of things. Like, how do you use some? How do you build these digital goods that are tradable things? So, does that mean Bitcoin is both of those things? People will argue that Bitcoin is money, hard money, is the way that the Bitcoiners look at it. It's it's like the dollar, but better. It's digital gold. So it's yeah, they're considered now by to fall within the CFTC's remit as commodities, right? So you need Bitcoin to use the Bitcoin blockchain. It has a utility and it is using Bitcoin, the payment network. But on top of that, it's also a store of value. So a store of value means that you can put money in this thing and come back to it at some point in the future and it's still worth something. It might fluctuate in value quite a lot, but it's still worth something. The value is determined by what people are pay- willing to pay for it at that time. And that phenomenon of people wanting to buy it is persistent enough for it to hold value. So becoming a store of value, sometimes called monetary premium, is yeah, it's got value as a transactive thing. And yeah, Bitcoin is essentially what I would consider a utility token. Now it's called a crypto commodity. But yeah, where I think the exciting bit is designing systems using smart contracts, which are like logic gates for money, to shape human action. And it's particularly interesting for DAOs because you can enable collaboration through a kind of game theoretic problem rather than having to vote on everything all the time. It's like people just acting out of self-interested action will do the thing without having to be compelled to do it. They're doing it or chasing their own incentives, basically. So how do you get people to chase their own incentives but align incentives? There's a few ways. Like, for example, let's take Bored Apes. Right. The incentive is we're all holding this token. And if we all pump our bags, if we all say it's the next thing since sliced bread and actually monkey JPEGs are an incredibly profound cultural phenomenon that's going to be around forever. We're all linked by this shared construct. Right. So I don't know how many board ape holders there are maybe six seven thousand out of the ten thousand in the original set they are aligned by this shared construct right so they're they tokens are a way to create what's called a, a non-zero sun game a collaborative equilibrium so we're all basically in competition but all on the same side looking the same things we all want our monkey jpegs to be more valuable but we all want our own monkey JPEG to be the most valuable, essentially. The other good example of this is Bitcoin. The incentives are you get to run the money printer. The Bitcoin network needs security, so it pays miners for security in the token. It gives just all the money to the people doing the mining. And in return, the miners hash run hash functions. They commit hashing power to the network which creates civil resistance and therefore protects the ledger. So what we've got there is a monetary system that outside buyers want to hold Bitcoin for many multifaceted reasons. And the miners, that means it has a non-zero value in the market. That means the miners can sell it for securing the network. And the system, the mechanism, if you like, is we're flowing money to people to provide security for the network. That's the kind of most basic crypto economic game. 
Okay, so that's, I think, some really interesting points of mechanism design and, like I said, being a subsession of game theory, I think laying that on top of why crypto is important, I think it's been a really interesting perspective. So let's talk a bit about projects. Let's talk about any good token systems. Are there, can you think of any? A disappointing amount of them, I would say. I really expected the whole field of token economics to blow up in the last bull market, and it didn't really. No one, Still no one really cared about it. I even saw some prominent crypto Twitter influencers saying it's a nonsense idea in the first place, which is why everything went to zero again, basically. So there is some interesting ones. I mentioned Curve earlier as a kind of that's a really good governance minimized DAO where people are using the token to direct action towards an economic alignment so i think that's quite interesting which used this thing called like vote escrow token economics ve tokens and because it worked everyone started copying it and and this is why where the art comes in replicating curve ain't easy it has like tens of billions of dollars of liquidity and it works because of that and you could rerun the curve game again. And because they weren't as hyped on launch or something, it just died a death. So it's basically a, there's token games, but they still require people to use them. I think we've built some very interesting token economics infrastructure at Factory Down. I still don't see, think we've seen the full potential of them because we've not had 10,000 users thrown into it. And so there needs it's a, both a, a function of the design and the use. You, and you don't really know if they work or whether they're going to work in the future or be sustainable until you see the game play out. So one of the most successful token uh, economies, I would say, was like Olympus Down, but it was a flawed one and left people who got in early, massively up and unlocked and able to just end the whole game. Building a game that's sustainable long-term, there aren't many. We've seen, like, you, you can definitely argue things like the protocols, Bitcoin, Ethereum, the kind of gas tokens work. But again, there's no guarantee that things like Solana, Avalanche, Polygon will work because the fees, are, like, for example, you can use Solana for 10 years with one sol token. One sol token because the fees are so low. And the same is true with AVAX as well. You're not going to burn, like we've burned tens of ether, like hundreds of ether deploying stuff to mainnet and using it and consuming it like a commodity. So even platform tokens don't necessarily work long-term if they've got very low fee blockchains. There was things like the LuxRare model. So LuxRare was an NFT markets marketplace that incentivized people to trade. And that all descended into a kind of farming game where people were just like wash trading NFTs back and forwards to farm the token and dump it. But they had a very interesting model for the revenue of that activity got kicked back to the token holder who was staking. And so really not loads. There was things like Axie Infinity that worked for a bit. And in fact, the whole GameFi space works on the premise that there is going to be a sustainable token model, but no one's really cracked it yet. And yeah, so it, the answer is sadly, not really. There isn't many, like I understand the discipline and I understand the importance of it, but it's still a speculative field. Like it's, there's, it's still, we, I'm super convinced that it's one of the most important things in the space, but it's not really panned out yet 
to be the advanced sort of discipline it needs to be in order to make these token models sustainable. So they all descend into this kind of like PvP non-zero-sum game where too many people end up with tokens too quickly and then they can basically control the game and it's all over. It's very difficult to get right. And my sort of theory is that you need a model that's adaptable. Fusion really matters. So if you end up, if you run a game right at the beginning and too few people hold too many of the tokens, it can end the game in perpetuity. And that works for things like Definity, ICP, is basically a dead token system. There's almost no way to recover it because they gave too many of the tokens to VCs at the outcome. And consequently, the whole token model is so controlled by small actors that no smaller actors, by large actors, that no small actors in the future will want to come and participate. The game is too rigged. And yeah, I don't think we've like properly hit a good model yet. I think we've seen glimmers of it, but I don't think we've seen exceptionally good token economics yet you mentioned this because nobody cares right yeah so is it i think of economics in the real world and that's still something which isn't understood yeah obviously in the token in a crypto environment it's it's way more contained right it's like an experiment you can run yes Um, we see the outcome of the game much quicker yes it might take a hundred years for us to see how the dollar game plays out like a hundred more years, or it might happen next week. Like we don't know. There's, we could see some one of the major token fails that the major token fail that we've ever seen was the Terra Luna system. And I could do a whole like hour on that, right? Why that blew up and why the incentives were wrong. And but it did. It ended up in this like hyperinflating feedback loop where the system inflated to trillions and trillions of tokens and then went to zero because of it so yeah it's one of these no one cares about it because no one's seen it work yet when people see it work they'll go all right this is super important and then everyone will start piling loads of time into it the reason why i spent so long on it is i think more in i think very long term but i think when you work in physics for example you most of the physics projects take 15 20 years to to build like the most recent one i watched was was that black hole merger thing that was recorded with like gravitational waves i was speaking to the guys who set that experiment up in 2005 they'd been working on it for 20 years up to that point and then they've they did it 10 years later after i met them so it takes 30 years to get something and just the way that crypto is everyone wants to see it work now like it's gonna we're gonna get it right first time and if it doesn't work now and in that experiment the sort of ligo gravitational waves experiment people said this isn't going to work for 20 years einstein said you could never like measure gravitational waves on earth so people believe things like you can believe something is valuable and important before you see the evidence that that's the case before you test it in practice, practice, and I'm just basically wind, I've got a hypothesis that token economics is going to be the most important feature of the entire Web three crypto space, and we will discover that over the coming years once some good token models drop. I think that's yeah, that really is interesting. I think I, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are interested in what you're talking about, but don't know where to start. So, where would you recommend people to get their heads into this? That's one of the challenging things about it. I don't even know. There's there's a few entities out there that are doing really great work. There's the Token Engineering Commons 
that I recommend checking out their resources. There's people who've built like whole libraries for doing this. There's a tool called CAD, which allows you to basically simulate token systems. I've not seen many of those simulated token systems make it into reality. And this is the other side of it. You can design the best token model. I, I've designed 30 of them at least and only seen half a dozen in practice. Like only seen half a dozen end up with real users and real activity. And actually you still don't you still don't know if it's gonna work unless you get tens of thousands of people using it. So yeah, it's a very challenging discipline. But the example when that came to mind, that looks rare thing, they cashed out $150 million in pure profit revenue pro rata to the stakers after three months. So when someone cracks when people crack token models, I'm fairly convinced they'll have they'll gen generate revenue and profits in such a way that it will get people like massively excited. We'll produce new business models, new digitally nat native business models that will FOMO people into the Web three space like you wouldn't believe because yeah. the amount of money over the scale of time at the cost of production, which will be basically nil because it's an automated digital system is going to blow people's mind and then everyone will give a shit about token economics and uh, the we've just done a sort of loose level chat on here but really it would it requires years of research to properly even get some of the core concepts it's quite challenging but the reality of it is you need all these research all this research to design it but for the users it should be basically like they're just following their instincts they're following yeah. their desire and incentive. In many cases, they're just following blind greed. And they end up doing something for the system. Like Bitcoin miners are basically cyborgs. They're basically like paperclip maximizers. They find hardware, plug energy into it, and greedily mine Bitcoin. Like they're purely self-interested economic actors, but secure one of the most important digital systems on the planet in the process. Playing a role. A very important role, but yeah, it is. They're just like, yeah, just total greed powered paperclip maximizers. So I think what we're going to do is add some points of reference in the show notes for this. So people can look at some of the things you were just talking about. We'll put some links into something about mechanism design as well. So people can have a read of those as well and get their heads around it. Because I think that, like Nick says, this is super important stuff. And it's made me really think about where do you want to be in crypto in in a few years time like in terms of how can you best contribute to the space and the token economics and mechanism design seems to be pretty goddamn important yeah learn everything you can about token economics hassle me on twitter about it come to the finance.vote telegram talk to me about it i'm always happy to talk about it yeah cool i think we can if we take a look at what's going on in terms of the markets at the moment, we talk a bit about some of the news. What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. High level on the markets. I've not really looked at the charts much this week. Pretty flat. It's just been sideways, hasn't it? You can tell yeah. when there's not much going on. Sideways is coin has basically been a stable coin for the last like month or something, which is wild. It's we're just going sideways, which kind of worries me because. There was a moment where that happened in, I think it was 2018, early 2019, where Bitcoin just went sideways for like four months or five months and then halved in value in one day. Just went dunk, 
and it was like the most depressing. There was no catalyst for it. It was just a long grind, like the long grind down. My theory was it was basically the miners dumping their bags in order to survive. What you don't want, and I think one of the interesting things that's happened this week is that Binance announced a half a billion dollar fund to fund mining activity. And basically what CZ is doing there is saying, we will loan you money at a 5%, 10% yield, depending on your risk profile, and you can continue to run your operations in times where the revenue isn't great for Bitcoin. So basically the Bitcoin cost of production can fall underneath, or the cost of production can be higher than the value in the market. Now, how close you are to that break-even point is determined by how cheap your energy is and how good your setup is and you know how good your ASICs are. And there's a lot of people floating close to the break-even point. And basically what happens in bear markets is sometimes the price goes below and everyone like what the miners need to run and they start operating on a loss to build up an inventory of Bitcoin and then they just die and then have to sell all their Bitcoin to liquidate. And that's when you get these kind of like big sell-offs. We don't want that to happen. So what was really interesting was actually CZ kind of saving the market there by propping up the miners. And it's not a bad deal if the the miners just capitulate anyway CZ takes all their stuff as collateral, right? So he takes the mining equipment, he takes the location, and alongside that, he's announced a cloud mining setup, which is basically CZ runs Bitcoin, and you can get in on the money printer with him if you pay him for it, and he takes a margin for it. Very smart as usual, CZ. But that can could, in theory, offset the crypto miner death spiral, which is when... Basically, what happened? You get a death spiral because the miners go. So, in the last last bear market, you got these videos of people like rolling over ASICs with a with a steamroller, just crushing all their ASICs, and like just I saw one of them just throwing them in the river or whatever. And, and basically, what happens is like whole mining operations go under because they can't make enough money, and then they dump all their Bitcoin, which drives the price down, which takes more miners out, and they dump their Bitcoin and so on. And you get this kind of negative death spiral. And we don't want that to happen because that means we're going to hit deep goblin town. Bitcoin never breaks its old all-time highs, but has done. We're hovering around the old all-time highs. It depends whether you're looking at the wick on the monthly or whatever as to whether we've broke all-time highs or not. But yeah, we're right on the borders of goblin town and we don't want it to go down. And Gary and Chums over in America are trying their best to FUD this to zero, right? They want us to go deep goblin town. Everyone gives up. Everyone thinks crypto's over again. And yeah, that, that's it could happen. I don't think it will. I think there's too much belief and activity in the whole ecosystem. I think there's too much utility and product. Within the last time around, we didn't have all these L2s and we didn't have loads of good tech. And we didn't have so many well-capitalized teams all attempting to build something that people will use. We didn't have NFTs and the massive cultural zeitgeist moment that just happened. Like everyone in the world knows about crypto now, practically. So it's a different context to the, I don't think the cycle will play out, the bear market will play out in quite the same way. Best case scenario is we go sideways for a long time. 
But the wild card is the macroeconomic environment, and which is just in an absolute state. It's just the UK have lost yet another prime minister. Plot. Yeah, to another one. Was she even ousted or just left because of? I think she this got, one didn't end in a mutiny. It, she was. It just, was no, she received a hundred letters of no confidence to the 1922 committee. That was. I just tuned out of it to be honest. I knew she wasn't going to last long. Forty-four days, uh, shortest in history. Yeah, I was surprised by how short it was. Like I was at least thinking like January, February would be when it would happen but yeah it's all just happened so quick which is good in a way i don't think it was even necessary i'm not a big big list liz trust fan by any stretch of the imagination but i thought the budget that basically drove supposedly drove the markets into a terrible state like the narrative is that like the markets were so spooked by not taxing very rich people or whatever she came in with a kind of fairly libertarian monetary policy and the markets reacted badly to it, and then we had to start bailing out bonds and stuff. I, I think the market was reacting badly anyway. The dollar was drinking our milkshake, as it is every... Like, you could see... You just... what The pound's been plummeting for since January. It's not Liz Truss's fault. It's like, she got cancelled for it, but it was happening anyway. Like, the, you're talking a few percent either way on the pound versus the dollar. I think it... The general sentiment is just really bleak because people are struggling to... We've got rampant inflation, like food inflation is still booming. We had the CPI this week. It was once again higher than the predicted amount by a couple of basis points, and that spooked the market again. I think the rate hikes are coming out again next week. The US, like the whole world economy, is basically governed by a committee out of Washington, D.C. If they the UN is basically saying to the states, stop raising rates, you're destroying everyone's world economy. And they basically said, now we'll do whatever we want. So it like almost the detail around what all the individual tokens are doing just doesn't matter anymore because the macro context is just really, it's basically the dollar dominance. Yeah. It's just like ruling everything. I think Bitcoin dominance is starting to rise again. This generally obliterates altcoins. Yeah, there's some of them that are finding like a fair value for basically finding their utility floor. I think FVT is one of them. The our market cap's tiny, and we have users with on a token with real utility. And I think there's going to be some real price discovery around tokens that actually have utility. But largely, when Bitcoin dominance goes up, the rest of the market bleeds out at its expense. I think that what will happen differently this time is Ethereum will. Uh, hold up very well against Bitcoin, which will build the flippening narrative again. Yeah. Even with very little economic activity, we've not seen gas prices like anything like we did in the bull run, but it's running deflationary. Since the merge, we're paying far less incentives to the miners. So basically, we've decreased the inflation of the network by 90%. The All of the fees that are used on the network are burnt, which means that the token the t- token supply is going down, right? Yeah. So it's turning into a deflationary asset. And when the, the whole economic activity frenzy starts again on Ethereum, and people are paying 120 bucks a transaction again, that's going re- to send it like hard deflationary. And it already puts the revenue numbers of Bitcoin to shame, but people use Bitcoin for a different reason. It's digital yeah. gold. Now, if... 
the Fed fails to get inflation under control, like they keep raising rate, like raising rates, inflation keeps rising, people keep getting more bearish, then that's going to really freak people out about inflation because you end up in these kind of doom loop scenarios where you can get hyper hyperinflation, and then the Bitcoin as an inflation hedge narrative is just waiting there. The memes are in. The meme of Bitcoin as an inflation hedge is etched into people's psyche. So I wouldn't be surprised if you could see like a $50,000 candle on Bitcoin in a day. Yeah, I suppose Bitcoin's coming into a period of, if there was ever going to be an opportunity to test its thesis, we're yeah. entering into an economic environment that offers that. Yeah, like... The regulations are moving pretty hard against tokens. Bitcoin and Ethereum are somewhat exempt from this, but fall with under CFTC's remit, and they basically regulate the trading venues. So, yeah, like that means institutional money can start. It already has been, but institutional money can start more readily flowing into Bitcoin. There's the long prophesied ETF for Bitcoin, which the trading venues are still too sketchy for that to happen for a good period of time in my view but it doesn't matter there's enough it, there's enough doors into bitcoin with like you you can get like elon proved this last year you can get a billion dollars into bitcoin pretty easily and out of bitcoin pretty easily and yeah that there's it's very it, and it is like one bitcoin is one bitcoin right it doesn't get inflated away to zero based on the whims of a centralized like entity Right, the, there is. If yeah. you hold one twenty-one millionth of the network, if you hold one Bitcoin, and that is not going to change, right? So, I think when if inflation keeps going up, regardless, and it's not responding to Fed rate hikes, like that is bad news. That's like doomsday stuff for the world economy, and it's demonstrably, as is seen in the UK, having real impact on political systems. Times like this chess pieces start getting shuffled around and yeah anything could happen basically like it's the most uncertain economic environment that we've seen certainly since 2008 global economic like collapse there's going to be a point where we just start calling this what it is another global economic crash we're in a recession i was looking at the ipo statistics this morning there's been one tech ipo this year and one Wow. Um, IPO proceeds are down 94% year on year. And that that's this is data for the last year, like not going forward. This is like we're in a recession and have been for a year. And and it's and in many ways crypto is a leading indicator because it's the most risk on asset. It's the most volatile asset. It's the most like up and downy asset. So everyone dashes for cash out yeah. of very risky assets. And that's what everyone's been doing is dashing for cash. So it's just been like one relentless run for the dollar, which is like obliterating the world economy. So yeah, God knows what's going to happen. I was thinking like the dollar needs to take a break on its march to like the moon. You know, to the moon. <laughs> like for anyone to have a break from this and shuffling Liz Truss out ain't going to do a thing. And I'm not convinced shuffling her in did a thing. It was just happening anyway. So, yeah, I mean, it's like the pinnacle of centralized finance. Like, the whole, everyone's economy in the world is determined by uh, one committee in Washington, D.C. on one number. Yeah. I can't think of a more centralized financial economy than that. So, yeah, like, times are wild. What happens in crypto is 
will happen in crypto. Like we're seeing things bounce 2030x, like Cardano NFTs were up 2x this week for some mad reason that I can't even imagine why. Mad. Yeah, I think one of the things we were going to talk about was Apto. Right? Aptos. 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 So Aptos, for those who are unaware, is basically the repurposing of Zuckerberg tech. So Meta, as they are now called, basically tried to bring down the dollar by building DM. People largely presume this was just a stable coin. It wasn't just a stable coin. It was a downside protected fund with a free float asset. So it wasn't pegged to the dollar. Like Libra, the asset, was meant to free float. So it had its own value. The Zork was trying to create his own fiat money that had its own, it would have been one of the world's biggest fiat monies. And it would have been fairly decentralized The, in the sense that it was a bit like a, a sort of delegated proof of stake type model. It was, it was basically a fund where people would deposit assets into it. And those people were people like Walmart. And what was in the pot was things like treasuries, cash from all over the world. So any people would like basically, if you imagine the reach of Facebook, they got, what is it, 3 billion users or something. So they want people to put their local money in and get Libra back. So the pot of Libra would have been a collection of fiat monies from all over the world. And then it would have been a fund, basically, that was aiming to be a kind of downside-protected fund, but I ideally upside. So it would have been basically Libra went up relative to other currencies over time. It was a it was an attack on the dollar, and unsurprisingly, the American government got onto it and said, "No chance, mate. You're not getting away with this." Hold him through all the committees. There's those pictures of the Zuckerberg sat with 50 cameras in his face. And, and yeah, it's they put a stop to it. Whereas he didn't get assassinated. Yeah, if he kept going with it, maybe that would have happened. Like, actually, no, governments don't assassinate people. They don't do that at all. But yeah, it's so Libra got cancelled, but they plowed years of research into blockchain technology in order to build that design, built their own programming language called Move. And that's what Aptos is there's Aptos and Sui, another spin out of this move programming language. It basically utilizes the research that was done to create DM slash Libra. And yeah, it launched this week. I don't know. I, like the. Didn't Sui get loads of funding like two, three weeks ago? Yeah, both of them raised, Aptos raised 250 million. So the whole network was priced in at least two $2 billion before it launched. Sui raised $300 million. And yeah, it's another L1. And I saw statistics saying that the transaction per second was like four, which is like even slower than Bitcoin. Yeah, that's really slow. Yeah, so slow, it's unbelievable. And like, it can't be right. Like I just I don't I don't understand the consensus mechanism that much. It's another proof of stake thing. It didn't seem alarmingly interesting to me on the on that side of things. And they with that money that they raised, they've incentivized a load of people to come and build like basically fork all the existing stuff that sort of works on Ethereum and elsewhere onto Aptos. But the ecosystem sort of diagram was pretty tragic. It was things like Degen Racing Club and uh, Hansen, 
instead of Nansen, which was my sort of favorite thing. But yeah, it's not exactly setting my world alight. But it listed this week. I went quite deep into the token economics. It's not really... There's a lot of VCs in it, as you'd expect. They've got 51% of the community, but the community just means that it's not like it's in a DAO or anything. They are, they're giving the community tokens to CZ to sell to the community. So yeah, it's not exactly something that's set in my world alight. I think its current price is around seven or eight dollars. Yeah, it was a bit, it was hyped, but the hype's already gone. Yeah, <clears throat> I think so. One of the things I know we wanted to talk about was mango markets and what's been going on down there. Yeah, Dow bailing out, oh, a Dow agreeing to pay an outside white hack bounty is one of the weirdest Dow decision things that has happened to this day. So an interesting rug of the week, this one, and a big one. It's wild to see $150 million hacks still happening in the bear market. And now this guy is just floating around threatening Aave and others with similar sort of attacks. So yeah, we may see similar branded attacks. He may even do more of them in plain sight since he's taking the kind of angle that this is perfectly legal. It's just a trade, which it really might not be. You might get into lots of trouble with it. So yeah, that's Mango Markets. Yeah, so the other bit of news this week that was Lee Vitalik came out and said people should launch a token called The Protocol because every time someone says The Protocol or The, people will be able to say that they're shilling it. And unsurprisingly, millions of DGENs piled into the various Inu tokens that turned up. Someone learnt, launched The Token, which of course, you know, 9X'd in a couple of days and yeah this is basically where all the economic activity in the space is at the moment on absolute shit coins just shitcoin dungeons are still popping i think we're in when we're in deep bear market these even these die but yeah i have great fun looking at these markets i of course don't buy any because all of these are rug pulls so you know someone sets up the token because vitalik tweeted about it and of course the person is a non, they control the keys, they could rug it at a moment's second, they have 50% of the token supply, they say it's a fair launch, but it isn't, and yeah, it's just a really sort of silly game, but fun at the end of the day, because meme markets are something that have long been talked about in this space, and this is what it is. I thought it was like the wake of meme coins after the queen dying was just hilarious. There was like 50 different iterations on queen Inu token. So meme coins always make me laugh. I don't buy any of them, but they are pretty hilarious to look at. So yeah, that was Vitalik and meme coins this week. So I think it's actually a really good point for us to end this episode on token economics at this point. And um, if you want to reach out to us on the podcast, you can find us on any of our socials. That's our website, finance.vote, our Twitter site, finance.vote. And you can also find Dr. Nick as well on Dr. Nick A on Twitter. Again, as ever, the, the Crypto Market Watch has a suggestion box, which is available to anybody that holds an Ethereum finance.vote NFT or are they holders of the FET token? They can suggest episode ideas and suggest articles or anything they'd like to hear covered on the podcast. Give us any feedback that you might like to leave. And if you want to leave us a voice message, if that's more to your speed and you don't hold an Ethereum FET NFT 
or FVT tokens, you can leave us a voice message here as well. There's a link to that in the show notes and we do listen to all the voice notes and we, we can include anything, we certainly will. So again, really appreciate your time this week. Hope you enjoyed that episode. We're looking forward to seeing you guys again next week and we'll speak to you soon. Cheers.